0: Explore the depths of your curiosity with aerospace engineer John Connolly, Columbia Space Center's Benjamin Dickow, and CEO of heavy metal magazine Matthew Medney as they bring scientists, engineers, and authors on a journey of discovery. This is Putting the Science in Science Fiction, where fiction and science collide.
1: Good evening, everyone, and welcome back to Putting the Science in Science Fiction. I'm John Connolly. And I'm here with my fellow esteemed colleague, Odin,
0: also known as Matthew Medney. Thank you, Loki. Also known as King of Heavy Metal. <laughs> it is uh, it is uh, nice to hear someone else do the intro for once. I, I appreciate that. Uh, I will let you
1: take this away for one second, though, because I need to turn the oven off because I left
0: a pizza in I love it. Now that is not getting edited out, Mike. Just so you know, I want all of our listeners to know that John enjoys his pizza uh, cooked, but not overcooked. I think that's very important. I I think the I think the bigger the bigger question is what is on the pizza. Um, on the pizza is
1: these delicious beefsteak tomatoes that are from our garden that we cut up, uh, bacon. It looks like ricotta. And then we've got some lettuce and some mayo. This is a, obviously a Tony dish.
0: As a New Yorker, that is not pizza. <laughs> uh,
1: I If you look, well, yeah, I'm not going to argue that.
0: That's hilarious.
1: So I need to find another object that's not burning.
0: Well, while uh, John is burning the house down, I just want to thank everyone who listened in on our clubhouse last night, and those who hadn't were going to do it again, probably on Twitter Spaces. Uh, it was John, myself, and Chris Mattman, who's the chief technology and innovation officer at JPL NASA. And it was just a fantastic conversation about space, the great unknown, NFTs. As some of you may know, there's a Beyond Kuiper NFT uh drop happening uh next week. It's pretty exciting. And um yeah it was a it was a good time. And while um you know I'm I woke back. up this morning. sorry hmm Is there pizza in hand at least? Yes. Fantastic. Um you know this morning uh John I woke up and, you know, just to time stamp this for people, it's uh, September 9th, 2021. Uh, an article that I felt was pretty foreboding. And it the headline, and I don't want to butcher it, so I'm going to pull it up real quick, is Space Force Head Says China Could Blow Up Satellites. And this was in Futurism Magazine, which is as reputable as they come. So I want to spend a little bit of time right now talking about the first thing that comes to my mind when I read a headline like that, which is, are we entering a real Star Wars? And I think, you know, let's let's dive into both real science, as well as tropes from our favorite fantasies, and uh, let's talk through what's realistic, what's possible, what's probable, and where all of this might be heading, um, especially... You know, where I want to start is not even at the satellites. We'll get there. But I'd love to start at um, the Russian side of the space station on fire.
1: <laughs> I, there's no, it's not anything to laugh at. Um, <laughs> I still, the fact that they haven't isolated what the cause was, and that they smell burning plastic, they better start digging to to try to find it. I don't know. That just, that worries me. We've seen a marked escalation in the number of mishaps happening or the amount of damage, disrepair. You know, when there was that report that came out speaking about how much damage there was and then there was the the new stations they added that misfired, that flipped the ISS over, you are finding
0: cracks in it. Now you're telling me that we're having fires pop up. Now, how, how, Man. just to the average listener, right? And maybe for me, you know, I hear fire in the vacuum of space and I, I think it's like, it's done, right? Like, like that's like a bad, that, that is like as bad as it can get. Um, if that thing blows up, if that thing catches, the whole thing goes up uh, very quickly. So like j- just for the listeners, can you, as an actual scientist, can you scale the what's happening on the space station? I feel like our society is in such numbness uh, from horrors. Like how bad is this on a scale of like one? This is like media fear porn, and ten? This is like uh, doomsday. Where does this act? Oh, for? okay. Hmm. I mean, in the scope of things, honestly,
1: like a three or a four, maybe. So it's not. that big I say that I. It's a okay. How do you, the question there is? Is it a big deal? How do you quantify it? On one side, if I try to look at it in, in raw numbers, it's a lot of money lost, a lot of money and time resources, but only a handful of human beings. If you're talking about the entire station just catastrophically failing to so quickly that they didn't have time to evacuate or time to try to save it. And so, you know, what is, what is really the struggle of, you know, that there's cracks in the ISS, in the ISS versus there were well, 160 people killed in suicide bombings in the Kabul airport as people were trying to get out of Afghanistan. So totally. it, it it's hard. It's hard for me. I mean, it's bad. It's bad because of what it symbolizes. That's the other side, where this is sort of of one of the premier flagship international cooperative scientific ventures that exist. And Mm -hmm. that countries are not willing to put the money in to make it right that's what i see not that i see a failure i mean it could it could be a failure of engineering but also too i mean things built for the harshness of space that have lasted 20 years i don't know especially if they are using tech that's 20 years older than now i mean think of the advancements that we've made uh it's telling of priorities or lack now, thereof that does and that, in that way that worries me more like a five six
0: (laughs) now do you think if it blows up the whole station goes up um okay so so talk, talk us through what would happen john okay explain to everyone so all right well okay in this
1: in the russian scenario where you had a module attached that all of a sudden Powered the station into another orbit or flipped it and moved it from its orbit. Uh, you know, either if you actually lost the station, meaning it deorbited, they definitely would have time to get to the Soyuz and get to the Dragon as escape craft. If it broke the station apart because of structural stresses, then and if that happened quickly enough yes then you would have the possibility of a human being trapped somewhere in a module even if they had suits maybe they wouldn't be close to the other ships and maybe a debris field would be too big to get to them but the station is robust enough that it did survive even a motion as unplanned as that i mean they do have to keep reboosting it in orbit and it's a fairly delicate, I mean, it looks delicate, it is delicate, but it's not it, it, it's not that delicate because they are able to boost it at strategic locations and have the entire thing move up in space.
0: You, you go slow to not induce too much acceleration. But, um, but, 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 but human life loss or not, if the station was rendered inert, blew up, whatever term you want to use. If we lost it. If we lost it. Thank you. Do we... And we lost it because of Russian um, negligence. Do you see a Cold War happening? Like, like, or is that where this leads to? Ooh. I think
1: even because the way you posited that, it's, it's too great and convenient of a human excuse to use. It, it would go... I think I could go... A couple of different ways it could go the one well, way of
0: well let, let, let's not I'll, I'll, I'll stick with
1: yours i'll stick with i was just gonna say yours.
0: let's not pause a human hubris did you see what the uh texas governor said today when asked what they are gonna do about the women who are raped and don't find out until after six weeks uh his response was well in texas we won't have any rapists on the street anymore was oh. his official statement. So oh. don't discount don't discount human hubris and using excuses to fuel wars.
1: Oh, no that's what I was that's where I was going. I was just saying Oh, you were I don't saying have that any it doubt. was a reason. Yeah, I'm saying it's too good of an excuse to pass up.
0: That oh, someone I understand. I thought you're saying that that it was no, too good of an no.
1: excuse. No, you and you but you brought up an independent important point and Texas thumbs down. um i'm saying that so anyway (sighs) yeah i could see so one of the things i wonder and what this brings up is we have a couple rules loose rules international rules governing space and space warfare so the most notable is the outer space treaty which is an international UN treaty signed in 1967 by 111 nations, including all the major players. But so that before I get into the nuances of that, that exists. So would, you know, taking the symbol of international cooperation falls from the sky. We are able to blame it on Russia It's difficult to say how we would use it other than uh, uh, I mean, it would be difficult to just flat out say, OK, Russia, you killed a dozen of our astronauts. We are now going to forsake the Outer Space Treaty. Uh, I that I don't see them doing that. It would have to be something subtler or, or I think it would maybe cause a war in a different way. You know, it would. Well, that's a cold you know, war, isn't it? yeah just a further recession of communication taking up yes yeah uh, i do think that it would reinstill a, some type of cold, regardless of what of the outcome yes there would be a cold war if there would be more than that hard to say unsure unsure i mean it's war is costly space war is really costly uh you know and also what are the strategic advantages of space what are you what are you trying to control what are you trying to get what are you trying to claim you know space is infinitely vast and mostly empty so you know if we're what are we battling for in all the space between earth and the moon are we battling for that empty space you know are there what what are the strategic defense points you know how how far from earth can earth control really yeah you know,
0: even even with well, that's ships. A, that well well so that's a great question for the expanse isn't it like let's like throwing yeah, it out there and I, right
1: and i think it shows that it, it, or it gives a a very plausible explanation the, and that's also with in mind those ships are fast in the expanse that, I mean they are well within the realm of physics but they are you know almost God the Epstein Drive is an almost God level piece of technology uh but even then space is so huge you're able to hide all over the solar system you know, hide between the planets you know the belters are scattered everywhere that's kind of you know, unless you're directly attacking the worlds, the amount of area to cover is almost unfathomable. And
0: so, so really, so I think that was a you... good I think that's a good area to to hone in on is people see things like the expanse, which is like in all reality, super realistic Star Wars. That's what it is. And yes. what what is the likelihood of it to your point? the technology in um, in uh, Expanse, though realistic, is still, what, 100, 200, 300-plus years outside of our current capabilities?
1: Yes. Absolutely. I, I mean, just the, just the time it would take to build all those ships... You know, the, the, all the fleets, the giant fleets of ships that the Martians and the humans have to build the infrastructure, the, the cities on the moon, the cities on Mars to build all of Mars. And it really asks the question, you know, there's a war there between Earth, Mars and the Belt. And when, once again, it, in, the expanse really shows it how much of that is politics driven. And even in the expanse, there's a Martian... I don't know if she's a general or she's an admiral or a captain, but she has a great line where she says, "War is composed of three things: luck, politics, and intense emotion." And I agree. You know, the there really wasn't any reason. There really isn't any reason for Earth to fight Mars. Mars just wants, really wants to focus on terraforming itself. And if you remember The Expanse, they ended up deferring the terraforming program for a century so they could focus their resources on building their fleet. So, you know, in in that, it's the dream of Mars came at the cost of war. You know, was, did Earth really expect that it was going to be able to hold claim on another planet, you know,
0: 200 million miles away? Yes. I think they did. I I I I think you are being a little naive in thinking that humans don't at, at those levels of government don't have some sort of sense of God, where they believe they are like ordained to rule. I very much believe that.
1: I I don't I don't doubt that. Where I'm going is, though, more the logistics of it. Okay, you're a fleet from Earth. You've come all the way to Mars. Say you win a couple strategic battles. Did you bring the entire fleet with you? You have no back... What is your backup system? You know, the, the points, the, the, I, the areas that matter...
0: Can I, can, I, can I flip that back to you? Yes. What did the Spanish do when they sailed over and we didn't have planes and it was one or two ships that came over to the Americas before a whole fleet and a whole infrastructure without telecommunications, without any long-range missiles, the ability for humans to conquer and hold land almost as a faux pas is, is kind of the M.O. of human history. Oh, manifest destiny and all that jazz <laughs> <laughs> i mean well so
1: and and that's where i want to loop back now to the outer space treaty the outer space treaty was created to and in this instance i am going key to not mince this among the Outer Space Treaty's main points are that it prohibits the placing of nuclear weapons in space, limits the use of the moon and all other celestial bodies to peaceful purposes only, and establishes that space shall be free for exploration and use by all nations, but that no nation may claim sovereignty of outer space or any celestial body. The Outer Space Treaty does not ban military activities within space, military space forces, or the weaponization of space with the exception of the placement of weapons of mass destruction in space and establishing military bases, testing weapons, and conducting military maneuvers on celestial bodies.
0: Haven't we broken that already?
1: Yeah, so that's kind of where... So you mentioned the real Star Wars, which instantly made me think of Ronald Reagan's 1983 speech, which was to create the Strategic Defense Initiative which was effectively a giant research unit the first stage of research into how to create a giant anti-missile defense system, which is you know, all the missiles that we would, fi- or not necessarily missiles, all the weapons that we would fire to try to take out all the nuclear missiles coming for us. Now, that's interesting because there's also an anti-ballistic missile treaty, which was between 1972 and 2002, So it's kind of vague if the strategic defense initiative already would have also been a violation of that treaty. So, but it's interesting because all of the weapons that they were designing were specifically to get around, none of them were nuclear, so they could all get around the outer space, the UN outer space treaty. And there was a tremendous amount of, I believe I read $30 billion that was put into research and a lot of that went towards lasers, sensors, space communication, and there's a tremendous amount, they're kind of vague about some of it, but there's a tremendous amount of, I think, forward motion and technology that came out of this, this program that never ended up coming to fruition because they determined that all of the different types of weaponry that they wanted to create and the systems and the orbital missile launching platforms laser arrays particle beam cannons uh were decades away from our current technological capability
0: in the mid to late 80s and where okay so with that in mind and with what you just said about um the technology of the expanse what is the reality of what would happen if we lost the space station, and the Russians were not just negligent, but malicious in wanting it to go down. What, what, what do you think would actually happen? You mean,
1: do I think if they wanted it to come down that they could take it down?
0: No, if yes. it went down... And they, and whatever you want to call it, a um, a tribunal uh, deem that they intentionally helped to put it down, what would be, what would happen? Like, would we go to, would there be some sort of fallout war, etc.?
1: I think it would just, to your point originally, just be a giant Cold War again, just with
0: Is that, that of, just like the, where it go, goes to?
1: I, I think so, because it's it's pretty much that or burn it all down. You know, the weapons are so, we have so many weapons at this point, and they're so powerful and there's, you know if we if someone really want to start getting hot and launching off missiles and really tearing an area up how long before someone starts slinging nukes? How long before we start busting out whatever the things are exactly. we told each other about? And is it, are we really willing to just let it go zero to a thousand that fast? You know, it, it's, I, I, I think knowing that there's no level of control to it once we get going just keeps us at that Cold War level. And, and we'll fight in the shadows or kind of like for all mankind... You really could end up having a cold war be actual conflicts that are happening out in space, which one, you could keep hidden much easier. And two, which would just have a a much more exoteric feel to everyone on earth in the way that they might just, you know, both sides, there's no homeland that's being ravaged by a war, right? The, the war is happening completely elsewhere. And it takes on this detached, surreal nature.
0: hmm I agree. I agree with that completely. And then, obviously, that goes to the end of mankind. hmm So, now let's dive into Star Trek for a second. Okay. So, there's some interesting you know, lore and stories around what happened before Starfleet and what happened before things moved to the stars. And there was, um, in the lore of Star Trek, there is a lot of, um, time where like things get even darker than they are currently today. It's like a, you know, it's a manifest of it's always darkest before the dawn. It's like the trope, right? And it gets even darker. Do you think in reality that's an actual possibility or do you think that's a fairy tale made for tv and that if it keeps getting darker there's not a reality where we really pull ourselves out of it
1: oh no i do believe that we could go darker well i i do believe that if you looked at it just sort of from the human side we could go darker and then we could eventually find a way out of it, but adding the reality of the condition the planet's in and where that's heading, I don't think will give everyone the resources they need to be able to rise above that survivalist, tribalist, nationalist mindset.
0: So you think we'd no, be if, doomed? If, yeah, just, you know,
1: what are what are wars for? You're you're trying to take something, or you're trying to remove something,
0: right? Fair, yes, yeah, I agree. Uh,
1: uh and so if everyone, I mean, yes, human nature will always be someone will want to covet somebody else's stuff, even if they have all their own stuff. But mm-hmm. it, it, you know, there's so many people on Earth, billions that live in abject poverty, so we can't say that we've had a good run of, of testing out what the world's like if everyone has it actually has enough. So as long as we don't until we solve that, then we're not going to look at a unified earth that, you know, how do you, how do you get all the countries to give up their own interests?
0: You gotta read Beyond Kuiper to find out this is true. <laughs> but um that's another good point is the Beyond Kuiper of it. So you know, not spoiling too much because this is backlore, but you know a global war occurs, and that global war forces world powers to congeal into one narrative while making uh heartlands of these countries um anxious and bitter about what the coastal port cities decided to do for the larger um for the larger contingent do you think in a real reality if we hit a another coal, if we hit another war uh even a world war and we didn't nuke ourselves into oblivion that something like that is possible Oh, yeah. I mean, are you saying? Uh, do
1: I think that? There's a yes, countries are absolutely going to be divided on it. Not everyone in a country is going to all want to give up their country to join something. If you have,
0: but votes, do you think we'd get to that? Do you think we'd get to a point in which that's even on the table? Is my question. Not, not, not the division from it but the actuality of that even becoming a legitimate option. Only if it was
1: a circumstance so extraordinary that affected everyone so profoundly that nothing less than full human cooperation would be able to overcome it. So, for example, at some point when global warming gets really bad and things start going absolutely insane there's i mean there could we could have that dark moment rock bottom moment where we just finally say you know what we're gonna die unless we do this unless we work with these people whoever that may be and you know an asteroid impact that's another classic example uh you know it's got to be also generally it has to be a non-human obstacle to overcome that way you, you remove that sort of bias Un- unless you know we're not going to get lucky enough i think to get another uh, enemy as universally hated as nazi Germany. Uh, mm-hmm. the world is much greater than that now not to say it, 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 yeah so to that point or if aliens showed up you know once again an external force that affects us all in a profound way and if we all needed to work together to somehow defend ourselves or or, you know probably defend ourselves only once we feel our existence threatened do we really look at all options
0: i agree with that now what what do you think happens in a um in a uh, mutually uh, assured destruction third party enemy like a asteroid or even an alien etc etc what, what in your mind how does that actually play out Oh, you want to run through these real quick? Okay. Yeah. So. Yeah, simulator. For me. Ast- ast-
1: asteroid. Asteroid, comet. I, I, I'm going to use so people have context. Deep Impact has. You know, I, I thoroughly enjoy the movie, and it does take time to show. You know, this was a a comet that they found years out. Yes, realistically, how long could the government hide it? to try to prevent panic, you know, what would be the steps that we would've been taking to try to preserve our way of life in the event that it didn't work out. Uh, You know, we would have, depending on the length of time that we had to be able to prepare for it, and depending on the size of the object, we would possibly be able to take several approaches. If it was small enough, and it was far out enough you could do a couple things one you could try to send a small orbiter out to it and have it gently use a gravitational tug to move its trajectory however slightly we need it to have it miss earth however many months or years down the line that is actually so there was a program at nasa that got canceled which was called the asteroid redirect mission and that ended up getting scrapped and actually folded into the deep space gateway and so that was to try to see if they could take an orbiter and and probe and bring a small asteroid back to and then put it into earth orbit
0: and why would they do that to
1: have it around to be able to then. Uh, Bring it. One was the practice if they could, yeah, if they could do it. Uh, two research three. That sounds, three. <laughs> that sounds uh, highly dangerous. Just to have one lurking around somewhere between Earth and the Moon. Although I mean, we probably it would not be. It, in terms of trying to get infrastructure into space. I think it would make more sense to take a small asteroid, attach thrusters to it, and move it to Earth, assume it was from the belt, and move it and put it into a Lagrange point, which would be stable, and have it out at one of the Lagrange points, either at the L4 L5 point, ahead or behind the moon. Because then just the ma- the mass of it, you know, kind of like Eros or the other. A lot of the, the places that the belters live in the expanse, those are hollowed out asteroids. It's a lot e- it's a lot easier than bringing enough mass to shield you against the radiation of space. That's another reason you want thick walls if you can.
0: And so, okay, but
1: I didn't answer the other ones. If the if the asteroid yeah. had if we had less time, once again, it kind of depends on the size, you know, can we, can we take the punch if we can, if it's not going to be a ecosystem, uh, you know, extinction level event, maybe you do try to blast it in earth or, you know, basically in atmosphere or try to break it up with a rail gun i don't know if our tech is actually good enough to do that uh or you could try to send a bunch of missiles out early and try to repeatedly hit it but missiles in space don't work that i mean you're more likely going to just break it into pieces than you are going to really consume much of its mass just because there's no medium really for the shockwave through, except for the asteroid itself
0: What, what What happens if the asteroid's orbit decays? Oh, I'm not saying to keep it.
1: I'm I'm saying to, those are all to destroy situations. I I was saying still to try to destroy it. I mean, if it's, if it was over a certain size and we weren't going to be able to take the punch, meaning I wouldn't risk breaking it apart and just having it be a whole bunch of really big shrapnel pieces across the planet. If the, if the amalgamated damage was still going to be that bad, you really got to try to go out there, I think, and straight up install, like try to get infrastructure onto it to install thrusters. You know, you dump, okay, here's, here's a scenario. You emergency fund SpaceX to a hundred times its capability and they churn out, a starship once a week and they they take all the liquid oxygen and hydrogen that we have on earth and it's just redirected from every nation every black market whatever it takes and you you pump those things up and you try to get as many of them to the asteroid and somehow attach them and then fire as many of them as you can to move to try to move it if, if the, if the gravity, because the gravity method, you know, relative mass matters there. So if, it, if it's something big, you're going to need to throw some mass at it and moving it is still, unless you're super close to earth, a much better option than trying to blow it to pieces.
0: Well, yes, yes. As we, as we all know, <laughs> trying to blow it to pieces will just create an astro shower to everybody's demise.
1: Now of course though, then that's the question of, you know, what comes after. Say you did manage to to move it. Now you got to track it and see, you know, is it going to be a threat again, sometime soon? Is this something we're going to have to deal with on a regular basis, or is it going to be, you know, oh, it's not going to hit us for a thousand years. Okay, we we could backburger this one, and and deal now, let our and our descendants deal with that.
0: Now isn't isn't there some Theories that there is like an asteroid um, stream that like hits us every X amount of years, and that's like kind of what causes of some of the extinction level events. There's an orbit of asteroids that like moves out uh, more of an elliptical orbit on trajectory with where they believe there may be a rogue planet that goes elliptical around the system. I'm truthfully not very familiar with this theory.
1: I mean, it would make sense if you had an asteroid break apart. It could, you know, as it just keeps going through space, its pieces would generally all sort of form along this line. It's called a string of pearls. And so, yes, you could have be a giant group of asteroids that's you know once was a big one that got broken into a ton of pieces that's on some huge insanely elliptical orbit where it's you know way outside of most of the solar system for tens of thousands hundreds of thousands of years and then dives back in ever so often you know like a comet that Yes, exactly. In the same way, comets dip in and then dip out, and we have comets that repeat, like Haley's Comet.
0: Haley's Comet is an interesting place. Now, let's pivot to the satellites. What happens if nations start shooting each other's satellites out of the... Out of orbit. Where do you, where do you think that le- le- um, leads us to?
1: Well, it leads to everybody losing, first of all. Because now you just messed up the whole neighborhood. Now you have a whole bunch of satellite shrapnel that is flying around the Earth. Great. That shrapnel is not going to distinguish your satellites from their satellites if we do that as soon as we start throwing the first rock it's just shattered glass and you're just walking on shattered glass and bare feet and that's that's what the fun time you're going to have trying to put satellites into orbit again where you're going to be worried about every launch how many objects are you going to hit how much redesign is that going to how much additional shielding are you maybe going to have to force into your spacecraft knowing that that that's a consequence Who's going to clean up space? Do you think there's a reality,
0: though, where a nation decides not to give... uh,
1: Oh, yeah. yeah. I think it's definitely doable because space is huge. And so, you know, if we do it at first, still statistically you're probably pretty rare to hit any of that debris. But it'll continue to spread over time. And in the future, if we have hundreds of thousands more satellites and objects in space you know and you start battling between them then 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 it is gravity to an extent you know then, then you could end up having just a giant move orbiting at the same velocity shrapnel field and yeah once again it just everyone loses from that or it's yeah it's one of those things where now that we're in space everyone feels the need to try to flex this that we have the capability of doing this because everyone else is going to have the capability of doing it if we don't do it we're going to be at a strategic disadvantage and this is the endless escalation
0: that is occurring and but where do you think it leads
1: I think it kind of depends on the timeline. I'll do a couple of things here. Hmm. Say a hundred years from now, I could see sort of, I don't know. I see space piracy. I see you know skirmishes as people are trying to leave Earth or get to the moon. Or, you know, certainly I could see orbital defense platforms. I, I could see there being orbital missiles that, that are fired from there. Or, or one of the other ones that I wanted to mention there was actually so when uh, the Strategic Defense Initiative eventually closed down, part of it kind of morphed into this program called Brilliant Pebbles that was to have these kinetic weapons orbiting in space that would have a watermelon sized piece of tungsten. That they would fire at something because it wasn't a nuclear weapon
0: that sounds like a horrible idea
1: yeah so you know i think a lot of the things that were in reagan's vision from the 80s those could be weapons i i could see it once again just turning into an insane weaponization with nothing happening you know everyone just puts up puts up orbital Missile platforms, you know, has their but laser then like, rings. but
0: like in the expanse, then right? You get someone like what's his name who gets his hands on them? Marcus yeah, oh, exactly.
1: and, and, and I was gonna say, oh, Marco Annaris. <laughs> yes, Marco Annaris. Sorry, I was gonna say Freud. No, you're, Freud. Your your Roman Freud was slipping through. Um, <laughs> that once again, though, one of the things there is. They were all fighting in space, you know. Marco Naris threw asteroids at Earth, but he didn't show up at Earth's doorstep with his fleet. He would have gotten his butt kicked. And you know, it's yeah, it, it's easy. It's also easy to hurt a, a sitting target that big. That's the thing. Earth is the Earth is basically the ultimate low ground in space. I, I, and for the foreseeable future, the moon will be the ultimate high ground in terms of a physical object, uh, which then kind of goes, okay, if these sort of more recent Star Wars and also we'll toss in, uh, let's just say here, For All Mankind, because its technology, yes. honestly, at this point is, is honestly ahead of ours in terms of their space capability. In season two, you mean season twos yes yeah and you know that is kind even of season and, ones. that's kind of you know cat and mouse uh, pathfinder versus baron orbiting the moon you know more of tiny intense skirmishes you know singular yep. events not because uh, there's also isn't that much infrastructure right then if you move a couple hundred years to the future to the expanse once you have entire discrete places in space it, once again, I think it's hard for Earth to maintain control of them if they are trying to defend themselves. You know, And Mars, especially because it's that far, or certainly if you eventually got to colonizing the outer solar system, does Earth really think that it could maintain power on Ganymede or on Callisto if they really didn't want Earth's influence there? Would Earth really find it worth it to send a fleet of ships you know. Five hundred, I mean, seven hundred million miles to ask ask the Brits though.
0: I I I yeah, go but, but, but the, the learning
1: curve is, but the learning curve here is so much different because the learning curve instead of going from one place on Earth with less resources to another place on Earth with more resources, you are going from Earth with whatever it's got and the dark void of space, which has less, which has way less and it's just way more demanding it, it, it's uh, but where i was going with that is if you do get to say then the expanse several hundred years down the line if these places want if mars wants to be its own place and wants to and can defend itself i, I think that it could you know then you could get to the sort of expanse level of conflict of where there's there's kind of a lot of, there's a lot of skirmishes. There's a lot of Cold Wars. You know, We once again, none of these wars we saw were happening on, at Earth or at Mars. They were always in the belt, you know, the moons of Jupiter. These are kind of proxy wars. Now then, if we do get
0: all the way to something like Red Rising, where... Oh, wow. Won't you set the stage real quick for everyone okay. as to what is the playing field of red rising
1: all right the playing field of red rising is about a thousand years from now and a thousand years from now there has been a society a cohesive interplanetary civilization of humans in the solar system for about 700 years and they that society started because when humans started leaving earth and colonizing the solar system after a while, they got tired of paying tribute to Earth and Earth-owned companies and taxation and all the resources that Earth was demanding of the places that were being colonized and of the work of, from those people to bring the resources back to Earth. You know, they, they thought it was, they were the ones out there. It was their own effort. Why should they care about Earth and why should it be allowed to rule them? Mm -hmm. so which which is also something in mobile suit gundam this is a repeated motif and i think that is the truth of that there would just be a point where earth cannot hold everything anymore and if someone tries it's the first person to try and really test to see how much does earth care how much is it willing to fight for its space resources Mm -hmm. and then in the red rising the moon ends up luna ends up rebelling against earth. And the moon compared to earth is one sixth gravity can chuck a lot more resources into space and weaponry and really does have the high ground in that sense. And so the moon ends up winning the war against earth and they end up stripping all of the space technology from all of the humans on earth and then spraying uh, sterilizer into the atmosphere so that it rendered all the humans sterile. And they just waited a hundred years so every human on Earth died. And then
0: they took it. <laughs> and how realistic is that? What well barriers up to that... are there right now?
1: I mean, one would be, I would think, population and still the fact that Earth, you know, is, is a, a habitable planet. Um, but I mean, you can do things like you can chuck, you know, you can chuck meteors at Earth. You can use nuclear weapons on Earth far more effectively than you can use in space. Because think you have to remember, too, this is a quick thing for people to know. Nuclear weapons are quite dumb in space, generally. Uh, there is no medium except presumably some physical object that the nuke is trying to hit uh, that for any of the energy to transfer through you know on earth you don't have to be that close to a target with a nuclear weapon to wipe it out you know if you don't hit it even if the bomb detonates there will be a tremendous amount of radiation because there's no medium blocking or absorbing the radiation So, so the radiation output will be much higher but there won't be any giant fireball no giant pressure wave moving through the atmosphere. No intense transmission of heat. Why is that? Because because it, there's no medium. The the vacuum of space. All of the energy, when the weaponry either fissiles or fuses, all of that energy that has just been oh, sorry all of that mass that has been turned into raw energy, turned into photons. There's nothing for it to hit. There, there's no air for it to heat up. There's no there's no water. There's no rock. You know, that's, that's what happens on Earth. A nuclear detonation occurs. All of this energy is instantaneously transferred into all of the matter around it. You know, turning air, rock, water into plasma. And that makes everything want to heat up and expand, but can only expand so fast because it's hitting all the other air water rock around it you know slowing down ever so much as it's continuing to expand but i mean you've seen the videos of what nuclear bombs do you see the, you know you see the shock wave coming across the horizon right just wipe everything out i have yeah um so, but then anyway, to, to go back to Red Rising, so that was the backstory. So, Red Rising is a thousand years from now. It was 700, 700 years after the moon conquered Earth. The society now has now terraformed every planet, uh, that, or every solid body. And our technology is pretty, as I say, it's pretty ridiculous. Uh, you know, we have things like anti gravity and cloaking. Uh, but one thing of note is that our ships are still very slow it still would take months to get to the outer planets and it's kind of gotten to this point where war is just taken on a new level war is this thing that's just loved and celebrated really in a romanticized sort of roman way and you know there's all these different There's an overarching government, but there's all these different planets that are run by ARC governors. And sometimes there's, you know, blood feuds and skirmishes between smaller houses. And there's, you know, tons, there's giant infrastructures and schools and institutions that are set up to teach, you know, basically from childhood, all the people who are going to be the military leaders who are also considered the topmost echelon of the society and are only allowed to come from the topmost echelon of the society. And the entire society has been stratiated into specific genetic castes. Mm-hmm. So, uh, but, but to that point, there's even a character in that book that once notes, we're humans a thousand years, you know, in year 3000 something, we've terraformed mm-hmm. planets. Why are we still doing this? Why are we still having these kinds of, of fights. And I think what it really comes down to once again is it, now in that scenario there is a society, you know, a central government primarily ruling from the inner planets that's trying to maintain control over everyone else. And in and in that one in backstory for Red Rising, Rhea, one of the moons of Saturn, tries to rebel and says, "Get out of here. Get out of here, Luna. We are not going to Be, you know, hearing to your laws, your taxation. We built this place. This is ours. You know, go back to your warm sun and and the easy life on your inner worlds. We carved out our existence from the ice here, far out in the darkness. And Earth sent, and and Luna sent an entire fleet and glassed the planet with nukes, or glassed the moon with nukes. Destroyed an entire moon to prove a point to be able to maintain control because like i said it was kind of it was that flex move right someone out in the mm-hmm. dark says okay how much are they really going to care and if you're going to maintain control really the only thing you can do is show that each and every time you care all the way and you're willing to see it destroyed rather than somebody else have it um, But I think that for a very, very long time in space, the distances and the time it takes to travel and the limitation of resources will make it so difficult to, well, first of all, there still will be so many resources available and so much space, and it will be so difficult to control that space that I think we'll have a long point of just kind of wild west insanity, but not war between major players interesting yeah Uh, i mean it it just it you know we're approaching that next hmm, how do i want to describe it you know we talked about what is it the car shop scale like you know tier one two three civilizations you know our our earth we have we're, we're maxing out the one planet right and but now all the rules that we've thus come to, that have sort of crystallized in the past two centuries about how wars are fought and how our society exists and about who gets to claim what and treaties and and, and the space available. You know, we are heading into a place which is infinitely large and it really is. If you can't catch me, who am I accountable to? You know, what? the, the almost endless unaccountability of space provided you have enough resources that you don't have to come back to earth so that's that's going to create this super interesting i can't wait till space becomes this said sort of the renegade you know there's nowhere on earth that you can hide but you know you're hiding somewhere up on the dark side of the moon you're hiding in the asteroid belt. I mean, we're going pretty far out now in time but uh i mean that was something out of uh say buying time that I read by Joe hollerman was that Ceres was this basically lawless Russian colony that had rebelled that was its own place but it was where if you were a criminal who had a death sentence on earth and warrants out for your arrest if you hid there earth was never going to come try to get you but you know what is the Self-imposed exile from Earth and a lifetime of space is a pretty rough, I mean, that's a pretty tough sentence on its own. At least for for now, you know, with the size of our ships and things like that, you know, if if your entire life is going to be spent in 15-foot diameter cylinders and I was never going to feel the ocean or rain or the wind. I mean it'll happen though. We just gotta wait. There's definitely gonna be that most wanted someone escaped to space, someone's hiding in space, maybe they die in space and never find them again, but that's how stories will be born. You know, when people can start <laughs> saying, Oh that person disappeared, like, oh dude, they definitely went and hidden in space.
0: <laughs> that is it uh, gives a new it gives
1: a new meaning to flu the coop.
0: That is true. That, and on that note, I think, um, I think that is this episode of putting the science in science fiction is, uh, hopefully we don't have a Star Wars. It doesn't seem like our technology is in a place that it could, thank God. But if it does, hopefully somebody, uh, can, uh, hide out in space and, a. Uh, uh, Fly uh, fl- can you do that in a in a present tense? You can't. right? it's flew a coop. You can't go. Uh, you can't go the other way. Fly the, right. Well, fly the you coop. You someone. Fl- I don't think flies you can. Right. Yeah. Will fly the coop. <laughs> oh, I think it works. That's hilarious. Well, thanks guys for listening to us rant about uh real nerdy science today we just saw those headlines and felt compelled to uh engage in uh in some of that faller but uh we hope you guys all had uh fun and we'll talk to you next week thanks guys bye Night, y'all